Ladies and gentlemen, we're shoveling. This is the growing season on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. I'm Matt McFarland, and I'm pleased to be joined by Ma and Pa, Jack and Lynn, Mom and Dad. Guys, how are you this fine week? Matthew, I am fantastic, except one little problem. What? I'm exhausted. I'm Matt. Pleasure to meet you, exhausted. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I'm fine. Too much science, good. Matt. Too much science. Too much science on this one? Even for me. And your house is still standing after this past week's insane windstorm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty nasty and so dark. Any damage at all? Nothing? Not that I know of, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I was telling you guys off air, I went and did the, the whole circle around my neighborhood, checking my house from all sides, and I didn't see anything. One of my neighbors, two houses down, had, had some shingles come off. So, Oh, I believe it. It was really bad. It was crazy. Apparently in Fort Erie... There was like a 148 kilometer an hour wind gust for summer dick. Cause that's like hurricane force. Yeah. That's oh. absolutely crazy. I don't think so, man. I think they're telling you a story. All right. It's all no. lies. Fake news. Fake like, news? Yes. Like <laughs> yeah. somebody else we know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> this week's show, our bark is going to be way worse than our bite in that we are chatting about bark, the hoodie for the tree, the tree's clothing, the sweater, the, uh, whatever, whatever. So, it's like how you can tell a, how a dog would Matthew. Why? By its bark. Oh. <laughs> Two jokes in a minute and 30 seconds here on The Growing At least season. he's not talking about Dalfiniums in the intro. That's exactly right. Yes, by the way, we've, we, like, we now have to put dogwoods in show bits. So sorry. Yes. So yeah, sorry. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to chat about the outer coating of the tree and what exactly this is used for. Why is this bark here? And there's some wonderful, interesting little tidbits things that I never knew. She's Jack, he's Lynn, I'm Matt, the person that doesn't know, and you will, you're tuned into The Growing Season right here on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. On the other side, Bark. Stay with us. That's right. You're tuned into The Growing Season right here on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. I'm going to be by far and away more organized. The last couple shows, I haven't mentioned show bits until halfway through the show. GrowingSeasonCanada.com. Click on show bits. It's the visual accompaniment to the show. The issue being is that most weeks we touch on about 65 to 70 different topics when it comes to plant material or anything horticultural. Never any science, Matt, right? Never any science. We never, we've never <laughs> mentioned phytochromes and cryptochromes and all that kind of stuff. So we thought that it was important to include a visual element to this because many of our listeners have said, you guys are chatting a mile a minute about things and a lot of it's going over my head. Is there any way we can get something visual? So click on show bits. It's the visual aid. It will let you basically in chronological order see exactly what it is that we're talking about. So my dad mentioned dogwood. Many thanks to that rat bastard that sits across <laughs> the table because that will be my first entry into show bits for this week. I will not have to put the picture of a rat or a bastard <laughs> in show bits because I'm sure most of you know exactly what those things are, particularly the uh, the latter because he's the president of the United States. Uh, anyway, uh, okay, sorry. Uh, anyway, okay, so where did this idea come from to do a bark show, guys? You kind of forced us, Matt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, bark is kind of interesting. Think of it as the tree's skin. And the reason that we want to get into this is that for our audience that is obviously tuning in still, and thank you very much for, for doing that, we want to make sure that we're not covering the same ground that we covered a year ago at this time. And we went back and did a bit of a layout on what exactly we covered back then. And we wanted to make sure that we're not re- Touching. Introducing it? Yeah. The issue being is that for the most part, and you've heard Pop say it over and over and over again, we only get to like 5, five to 7% yeah. of, the yeah. of, the, of the information. So we could theoretically map out the entire year's worth of shows and just have it based on a template. And we could touch on evergreens and Christmas trees again, the exact same topics as last year and get a whole bunch of brand new information. Now, however, we are going to be touching on Christmas trees and getting involved in things for the Christmas season. But more like around the world, Matthew. That was, and that was dad's idea is Christmas trees from around the world, which I thought was such a great idea, such a super idea. Also up, uh, upcoming in the coming weeks would be Allison Johnson from the spice trader.ca is going to join us. We had Allison on 
It was around January. Actually, we paired her with the Australian Wildfire Show. So that would be the uh, New Year's show. Fire and Spice, we called that, right? Yes. And she's going to chat with us about the spices and such that are associated with the Christmas season, which I thought was a really, really cool idea. Okay? So cinnamon would be in there for sure. For right? sure. Absolutely. Not Meg. Yeah. It's exa- exactly. So Bark came about because we have never talked about this at length. And it's interesting because... I was recently on a, on a chainsaw job and we were cutting down a multitude of overgrown, like this lot was, was around since the 1950s. So dad, you know how this gets, right? Kind of, kind of scrubby. The stuff gets a little bit out of control, right? So I start to cut into a maple and then you go and you cut into a cedar and man, the saw acts completely differently on those Slow, two things. It speeds up in the cedar, right? Oh my God. The yeah. maple, it was just, you know, the just saw was like, right what, what do you want from me, man? It's a Sunday morning. Why, why are we doing this? Whereas the cedar just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's just gone. Right. But so the topic of bark comes up. My first question is scientifically, why is this here? Matt, it's basically a protection for the tree, okay? So in this case, I'm talking about trees, but every plant out there has some sort of a skin, which is basically a bark for that plant. So here's the thing, Matthew. The smaller... What I, did I you just say? Uh-uh. I just not. If I don't say it again, it's not considered a crutch word. <laughs> oh, oh, my... Mom, keep your ears open, right? So, Matthew, the smaller the plant, the more um, strength it, it has to add to that plant. You've heard the word turger before? Yes. Turgid. Okay. But, you know, anything smaller, Matt, would have the skin would actually keep everything in place and give it some strength, okay? Yeah. But as a tree, for trees, for instance, the bark itself is, is not adding as much strength as the interior wood is adding to the plant. So would you, would you say, do trees and shrubbery, but let's stick with trees for now because they're the, they're the grandmasters of all this. Three trillion of those on earth, Matthew. Three trillion trees? Yes, sir. Really? More stars than the Milky Way, they think. What? More stars than in the Milky Way. More what? stars than in the Milky Way. What more stars, more, oh, sorry. More trees on Earth than more stars in the Milky Way. More trees on Earth than stars in the Milky Way. What? Yeah. That's right, Matt. Sorry about the... No, that's okay, that. but where'd you get that information from? That's awesome. From our research. Really? Yeah. That many trees? There's that many trees, Matt. Even with, even with deforestation? Even with deforestation, yep. Wow. I know, I know Matt. It's amazing. Wow. But Matt... Hold on, hold on though. And you probably don't have this information, but don't count on it. Okay. Oh, look at you, gunslinger. <laughs> well, let's have the okay. information. We can tell you. So would you say that trees have an exoskeleton or an endoskeleton? Ooh. I would say it is. Come on a- here, you cocky poop. Go. What is it? I would actually say that it's probably an exoskeleton. That's what I would say too. I concur. Right? Because that bark, that outer layer of skin is there. Like think of it just like a stem, right? Mm-hmm. Like the stem on a, let's say the stem on a Gerbera daisy, that to me would be exoskeleton because the yeah. outer layer of this thing is creating the stability. It's creating yeah. the structure, right? Yeah. Whereas with the bark on a tree, to me, that would feel like, yes, obviously the interior is a whole lot more solid than, say, the interior of a stem of on a Gerbera daisy. And I'm bombing myself here, by the way. But that bark on the outer layer of the tree is the thickest of the bunch of stuff. Yes? Like insects. They have exoskeletons. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But, yeah. Matt, the, the bark basically uh, is mostly dead tissue. They call it dead cells. And it is a product of what they call cork cambrium. Okay? Got it? Okay. Cambrium. To uh, to be precise, okay. Which Matt, just think of it this way: that these cells do do many things for the for the tree itself. Number one, it keeps away insects. It actually warms it in the winter and cools it in the summer. But here's a big one: the the actual bark will actually gather, collect, and distribute water and nutrients to the inter- interior portion of the tree, Matthew. So your xylem and your phloem. While we're on this, guys, can we can we clarify? Can we uh, bring it down to a layperson's terms? The difference between xylem and phloem. What the heck this is? What is xylem and phloem? So, Matt, xylem and phloem. Xylem actually stores water 
and it, uh, say, water-soluble nutrients, that kind of idea. Okay. And the phloem, which actually transports things like sugars, proteins, and organic molecules. So it's moving things basically from whatever it collects, say, through the roots, and it moves it throughout the plant, and it's actually storing this for further use. Okay. Storing and it and using it. For are these like tubes? These are pathways yes. up and down throughout yes. the tree? Yes. Gotcha. So okay. some, sometimes if it has too much water or, or nutrients, it will store it in its cells. Otherwise, if it has too much, say, sugars and, and proteins. It'll transport and so them out of the cells. Out of that, into elsewhere. the places on the tree where it needs it. So it's really kind of on the cool side. That's fantastic. It is. It's an amazing process. And it's an adaptation that they've been doing for hundreds of millions of years. So it works. Okay. So we got a little bit of the science behind this whole thing. It's used to basically connect, like collect and condense oxygen, water, all kinds of stuff you like that. Pro, uh, protection for the inner portions of the tree, right? Sure. So you know now where we're headed next, right? Hursery with Lynn McFarland, mom. The history of bark. Now I'm not. I'm not referring to the Rottweiler that's ah. dropping bombs ah. on your on your back lawn there and barking. I'm actually talking about the history of bark. Now, my question would be: Is the history of bark concerning cultures? Okay. Well, first of all, plants... I know where this is going. I'm teeing plant, this up for you like a... Plants first invaded the land 430 million years ago, <laughs> even before vertebrates. Invaded, yeah, invaded. The, the plant invasion. And about 360 million years ago, during the Silurian period, they developed bark. Wait a minute. They were barkless first? They were running around with no underwear Yeah, they actually... <laughs> I think... That's we, some nice wood you got we there. Saw, <laughs> we saw drawings of, of, of it, and it showed them lying on the ground. And then I guess it's it an, showed what lying on the ground. The plants kind of just lying there on the ground, and I guess it's an environmental adaptation because what the plants with just bark lazing around the couch on the couch. Yeah, couch potato. Well, Matt, you got to realize that everything has a bark yeah, but, or a skin of some kind. So, uh, if you remember one of our previous shows, we did a thing on vines. Yeah. Okay. So the original vines kind of just leaned up against other trees. Yeah, but and that's how vines. But the concept came about. of these trees having no bark. Well, remember, plants evolved from algae, and algae just lays around. <laughs> so it must have been an environmental adaptation that the trees that developed this barky outer covering were able to stand up straight and get more sunlight and more food. Right. They succeeded. Now, down through time, though, bark's been used for a lot of things. Like our native people in our area, they used bark extensively. The uh, Algonquin people used birch bark, of course, for their canoes. Now, how did they go about doing this? How do you do this? Like, because this is something that I always wondered. They're obviously building the frame out of something else. And then they would... Probably birch. Okay, so they're building the frame out of the wood of the birch. But sure. where does the birch bark and how do they waterproof it? Well, they would peel it's, it off It's called the butylin. Birch. Yeah. yeah. Butylin. It's called butane, did you say? Butylin is the name okay. of the actual uh, waterproofing material that comes from birch what? bark and yeah. birch trees. Yes. And it's also a fire starter, And too. it's a fire starter, yeah. Birch bark. And even more, Pretty cool. it's antimicrobial. So they would make their food storage baskets out of birch bark because by storing their food in the birch bark, it, it took longer for it to spoil. Like it wouldn't spoil as quickly because there's an antimicrobial quality to birch bark. Okay, so later on in the show, we're going to get deeper into, the, into all this stuff, right? Sure. Bir okay. Back to the canoe. Any insight as to how they did this? They would build a frame. You know, I didn't research it in huge detail but they would first build a frame maybe out of birch wood or pine or something and then they would sheet it with the birch bark yeah sew it in place and then they would would waterproof it with the betulin okay betulin. but wait a minute Mike. you realize that they did not wait a minute hold on they would waterproof it with the what betulin the, the betulin and pine resin too and spruce yeah. okay. resin too because, because, sorry, you, you guys call it butylin first no betulin or butylin okay okay okay, okay. Hold on a minute, though. Hold on. Hold on. So this betulin butylin thing, like, is this a, a liquid substance? Like, where, what, what is this? Are they painting It's a molecule this that's, uh, that's it's in. It's just in it. It's like. It's in it, yes. So it, mom would said that they would waterproof it with this stuff. Mm -hmm. yes. The same with. Uh, so they would melt, they would actually melt it down. Like they would they, melt what down? Well, they would probably, uh, I would imagine they would have either boil it or something to get the. Boil what? The betulin. The, the betulin. What is the betulin? On the, in the bark. So Matthew. they would boil like the bark. Yes. yes. Okay. I just want to know, like, because I'm, I'm, is it like, are we slicing the birch okay. open I and it's everywhere? You never, what are we doing here? I like, guess you never like read a, our notes, right, Matthew? No. Is, no. It, it's, is, is it like an opium bulb where you're, no. Okay. no. And now, the, like, the tree sap, the resin, that I understand. I, I, I understand how they would do that, right? Because yeah. it's the same as, like, a rosin bag or, you know, whatever. Sure. But 
so they would they would boil the birch bark and it would and it would secrete this whatever. I would imagine either that or heat it. Either way, just so it would release it. Man, it's a molecule that's very easy to get out by the sound of it. So this is remarkable. And they had to the, find this out from for themselves. Like, I, and I ask this on multiple shows where I'm like, "Who's the first person that's like, wait a second? <laughs> if we do this, this happens." But you know what, yeah. Matthew? They they were very big environmentalists. They didn't go around and physically cut trees down to get the right. birch bark to yeah. make to make their canoes and so forth. They would use whatever was on hand that had already fallen down in the forest. Right. So they were really really that way. But, they were environmentally friendly. Right. They would use whatever was on hand that would fall on in, in the forest. But there must have also along the way been absolutely epic failures being like, okay, this is on hand, but it definitely doesn't work. Yeah. Or like Okay, that person ate that nightshade berry and died. Maybe we shouldn't eat that thing Trial any, and error. anymore. Like, indigenous peoples died <laughs> figuring stuff out. Yeah. Right? Where yeah. it was like, don't do that again because that yeah. equals death. And then there are oral traditions and that they, they would be passed down through stories. Now, another big user of bark were the Iroquois. And I'm, I'm sorry, I can't say their proper name right. But they used elm bark for their homes, their longhouses. Really? And, and why elm bark? What was the reasoning behind this? Again, elm? probably on hand. I get On it. hand. Every third tree in the forest back then was elm. That's elm trees. crazed. And uh, elm Think bark, about that for a second, right? We don't see it at all anymore. No. No. And elm bark ha- could come off in sheets. So it was almost like shingles. They would build the frame with other trees. I'm not sure what. Probably pine. Something that would bend because the longhouses are kind of caterpillar shaped. And then they would sheet them with elm bark. Is there any reason why, while we're on this, is there any reason why they were longhouses? Like, why were they caterpillar shaped? Was there any, was there any... any I'm wondering if it was to do with heat retention and that also cultural, like each clan would have their own longhouse. And they were huge. They were 100 feet long, 20 feet wide. A couple hundred feet long then. Yeah. And the fire was inside the longhouse. At least three or so. And so how did they deal with smoke? They had holes. Uh, in they the, had vents, but at the top. Yes, I remember reading somewhere, Matt, that by the age of thirty, a lot of them were having vision problems because of the smoke. So, Matt, they were saying that the average temperature inside a longhouse was between fifty and fifty-five degrees in the winter. But, but just think of this: you have an in the aver- winter in the winter. So, just think about this: if you had an average number of say two hundred people in there, and then a human gives off approximately two hundred and fifty to four hundred BTUs. You would have in the neighborhood of what does that up to around a uh, hundred thousand BTUs or something like a regular furnace would give off. Okay, in your so home. that that's my next question is I don't even have any any ref any frame of reference for this. What does your average furnace give off? About a hundred to a hundred and fifty thousand BTUs. Is that what, really what it is? Yes. Yeah. So you have that many people just sitting in the longhouse, plus Actually, the fire going. Of course, at night when they weren't moving around as much, they would be not giving off as much. But they may be under the bearskins. Yeah, that's when they would be under the bearskins and so forth. But yeah, man, it was really cool. Wow. It was very, it's very interesting to see how these people lived before central heat and everything else. And they managed. They survived. Yeah, and you're not talking about, they're not living in Florida. No, no, they're living here. They're, they're in, in Timmins. <laughs> no, Iroquois, no. no Northeastern what, New York what, what, State. But what I'm saying, though, is like you've got indigenous peoples living in areas oh, yeah. that are in zone three. Like yeah. you're getting some majorly cold weather here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And but they're they thriving. Managed. And they're, oh, yeah, they thrived. Wow. Yeah. It also brings to mind the um, the um, the Inuit. Mm-hmm. Where you're making your home set up. <laughs> blocks of ice. That is just oh, crazy, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're and, a and you're tough eating. Lot. You're, yeah, and you're eating walrus blubber and yeah. all that. Yeah. 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 But Matthew, they said that uh, betulin is actually a hydrophobic water-fearing molecule. Water-fearing. In other words, it's a good waterproofing item to use for your canoes and so forth. It's really handy. That's amazing. And again, they had to learn this by trial and error. Yeah. But Matt, here's some of the cool stuff. Okay, so this is not history anymore. So uh, uh, the uh, bark on a tree can go anywhere from basically as thick as the skin on your feet, let's say. Yeah. So that would be things like your your sorbus or your amelanchier. And there's a Latin your, alert, by the way. Thank and you there's your Latin Actually, alert. you know what? Those 17 minutes and 41 seconds, and we haven't put the Latin alert up yet. But any of your fruiting trees and so forth, Matthew. Thin, thin, thin. Thin, thin. Yeah. But then you go the opposite end of the spectrum, and we would go to, say, your coastal range sequoias. So how do you think, how thick do you think the bark is on those babies? Six to eight inches. No, mom, anything? Two feet? 
Two feet. What? Two feet are 60 centimeters, right? Okay, yeah. what? Whoa, 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 whoa. So these are on your Don Redwoods? No, the Don Redwoods don't, don't have it as big. These are the coastal redwoods. Okay. They're much bigger than the Metasequoia glypsoboides, right? Right. Okay, so they're much bigger than the Metasequoia glypsoboides? Yeah, the okay. giganiums. Yeah. Okay. So then the... Okay, so... What's the caliper of this tree if the bark is two feet? 125 feet around at the base. That is a monster tree. Yeah, it weighs approximately 1.22 million kilos. Okay. And it's called, get this, General Sherman. Okay. So General Sherman's bark is two feet thick. Thick. 60 Diameter, all the way around here. Yeah, it's about 100 feet or so around at the base, okay. I think. Yeah. Can we get into something that's a little bit less Star Destroyer or Death Star and get into something that's a little bit normal size, like an X-Wing or a TIE Fighter? What are we dealing with as far okay, as you're like— Okay, you're all your maples. Okay, it's all based. You. It's all based on— on the size of the tree and so right, forth, okay? Right. So the bigger the tree, the more so, and, and wood, he, he, you know what I'm saying? You know how it works? <laughs> you know, it goes something, something like a guy with big feet, that kind of idea. <laughs> yeah, it's really big shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Matt, let's take, say, an oak, okay? Yeah. So a Quercus rubra, yeah. okay? So Beautiful tree, by the way. Yeah, they're a nice tree. But if you look at the bark on that, even a, a fully mature one, you might find the bark is in the neighborhood Two or three of, inches? Three or four inches. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So your your pines would be less and so forth. Pines okay? are a lot less. A lot less. Now, and again, they're only, what, five to six tons on an average, right? Yeah. And the is it me or are the pines less in that you see a lot more sap leakage on a pine than you would on like a hardwood? Because you walk by, again, you were the... You were the master of disaster when it comes to Austrian pines and, you know, all across the GTA... Uh, Blue Jay landscaping was just augering holes in the earth and dropping Austrian pines in them. But you would walk by those guys and they are routinely just draining sap. Is that because their bark is thinner than, say, their hardwood counterpart? I think it has more to do with some damage that it acquired, say, over the winter. Or just the fact that they exist yeah, any, and sure. they're just a disgusting, no, stupid tree. No, that actually, Matt, right do, you know what, do you know what sap is? <laughs> the thing that it's Austrian pine blood. <laughs> the thing that leaks from Austrian pines. No. Yes. It's actually, Matthew, it's what is, um, may think here for a second. It's what if you removed it, say, from the xylem or phloem cells. Okay, so whatever they're collecting, that's yeah. what is being released. And so, Matthew, here's a good question for you anyways. So if you wanted to slow down the sap leakage, which is basically if we had a, if we cut ourselves and, and we bled. It's blood. Yeah, okay. Be, yeah. What would you do to slow down the process? If do something something to the bark, like heat it. No, no. Well, I remember, you got to do something that's pretty quick and easy to do without having to get into a major undertaking. No idea. I'm stuck on band-aid because <laughs> band-aid stuck on me. Lightly prune it. Prune and what? Prune the tree lightly. Just go along and lightly prune it, and it goes into protection mode, and it shuts all that kind of stuff down. Well, well, prune it in the area that it's leaking, no, or just, just generally prune generally it? prune it. Just give it a light pruning somewhat. <laughs> Go along. It's, it confuses the tree. I'm not kidding you, Matthew. Your I am, arm is spewing blood. You should get a haircut. <laughs> you know, Matthew. Cut your toe off. <laughs> cut your toe <laughs> But what they did say, Matthew, that you could, if you were having areas that were leaking, that say it was damaged over the winter and so forth, yeah. or you had done big cuts and it hadn't healed yet, they said you could use things like tree paste, okay? Yeah, but which you use a lot. Yeah, which, which we used a lot. But they said, generally speaking, time is just as good as anything. They say eventually that tree will heal off that wound and it will quit leaking sap, okay? Yeah. But Matt, everything to do with a tree, its its trunk, its roots, its branches, is all about bark. There's just no way around it. This is the one thing that a tree must have in order to survive. And yet, you see trees that are super damaged and there's bark removed off these things and these things can heal over, right? How? That's, um, oh, it starts with P. Um, phenolics. Phenolics, thank you. And they just basically, they almost callous over. It just calluses they over do. that spot. They actually can't replace the bark per se. They do something called seal, not heal. Matthew, they basically, what they do is they compart- compartmentalize, okay? No, compartmentalize. Carp. I can't do it. That's okay. okay. They, let's call it, they wall it off. How's that? An injured yeah. area or say which has infected tissues and so forth. 
And then what they try to do is they try to generate new tissues. So it's really on the cool side. So that diseased, infected, damaged part stays with them forever. They just basically lock it in a room. Just put a Band-Aid over it and close it off. And then, yeah, anytime there's something damaged, Matt, they just kind of... You know, close it off, and they they uh, they make the tissue around it healthier, but they leave that one part intact. So, so they'll never heal from this. Never really heal. They, they will eventually callus over eventually. You know, right. from the edges. But that but part is still damaged. It's always damaged, but it'll callus it over just like you're putting a bandaid on, and and eventually, if you think how a fingernail will grow and it'll grow yep. and grow and grow, yeah, and basically just just a bunch of cells that keep extending outward. Yeah. And the same idea, the outer edges will, will heal over and eventually it will close off that area that's been damaged. Let's finish on this. You use that lovely little rhyme, seal not heal. I just recently wrapped up a landscape plan where I, the customer was really into the color purple, like a, like a grapey purple. And uh, I was looking for like a little theme, like, like a little rhyming theme for the, for the job site. I used a bunch of columnar mugo pine. So I called the theme for it, wine and pine. Right. I don't yeah. actually mind that. Wine and pine. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. She's Lynn. He's he's Jack. I'm the guy whining and pining, mostly whining. And this is the growing season right here on News Talks on 960 AM. back. Thank you to the sound of horticulture or the sounds of horticulture for bringing us in here. I'm Matt. She's Lynn. He's Jack. We are the McFarlands, the stewards of the growing season. Visit growingseasoncanada.com. Click on show bits. It's your visual accompaniment to the show. On my pee break, on the break in between uh, segments here, I wanted to go and check exactly how the indigenous peoples used, whether it be this betulin, is this what I'm talking about here? Yes. Or some manner of sap to make this stuff happen for waterproofing the canoes. Okay, so check this out. This is what I came up with. The birch bark canoe was the principal means of water transportation for Aboriginal peoples of the eastern woodlands and later voyagers who use it extensively in the fur trade in Canada mostly. In building a canoe, bark is stripped from a birch, placed inside a staked frame, sewn in and attached so they would sew the birch bark together to create one big blanket. Then the joints in the canoe were filled with the root of the white pine tree. Then hot pine or spruce resin was poured in to make it waterproof. Conversely, the enzyme betulin within the birch plant was also a noted waterproofing agent. So it was basically wow. what we were saying. It was either they either heated it to extract it. Is what they were doing in the long run, right? Yeah, and they were using some sort of a pine or spruce resin to pour in between the cracks. Have you seen this? This is all the rage now on Facebook or wherever. They are. You see these videos that pop up where people are making like resin tables. Have you seen these things where they cut like planks of wood, they build like a little frame, and then they pour resin in between it? Super cool. But that's how they were doing it, the Aboriginal peoples. They were getting this birch. They were sewing it, probably using some manner of animal gut or whatever, to these planks and frames and then they were taking pine resin and they were coating the outside of it with pine resin or spruce resin for the waterproofing. Hmm. Very interesting, Matt. Very pretty, pretty cool stuff. Absolutely cool. Absolutely, yeah. So, Matt, what temperatures do you think bark on a tree can uh, prevent, say, the trees from freezing in the winter? What kind of uh, temperatures can they withstand? Are we talking about the bulb stuff again? Is this no fertilization? No, no bulb stuff. What kind of a temperature could they sustain in order to protect the xylem and the phloem okay, within now, the tree. Okay, is this on a tree or on a birch bark canoe? Let's no birch bark <laughs> canoe on a tree. Let's pick a birch. What temperature can the bark withstand, allowing it to protect Heck, the, the xylem and the phloem? Minus thirty degrees Celsius. Minus forty to minus fifty degrees Celsius. For, minus forty degrees Fahrenheit to minus sixty degrees Fahrenheit. What happens beyond that? then the tree will die. Simple as that. Wait You'll a minute. Major death on the tree. Okay, but hold on a second though. You've got trees, we keep talking about zone three, about Timmins and all these places in Winnipeg. It's getting into minus 40, 50 wind chill in there for sure. How like, are these trees surviving that? 
Well, Matt, again, remember our What Do Trees Do in the Wintertime? We did a show. Yeah. They also, what they do is they take the water out of the cells into the places between the cells. Right. And then that is another way that they can increase the temperature that they can sustain over the okay. winter. Okay. Because the, we we routinely, or not routinely, but in southern Ontario, we Rarely. hit minus we, 35s sure. with but the not, wind chill. Not routinely, but yes. Like in January, February, you get some frigidly, frigidly cold days, right? You're hitting minus 35. You're getting into that threshold where you've got You've got tree damage or tree death, right? Like, I mean, if, you, if you're saying minus 40, minus, minus 50 degrees Celsius, you're getting, you, <laughs> it's getting pretty cold here in Southern Ontario. But you know, Matt, we're going to be doing an upcoming show on roots, right? Yeah. So if you look at roots, on the other hand, roots can only take, say, minus 20 degrees. But they have the benefit of having, they hopefully having snow cover and the ground would, there would be a certain insulating factor in topsoil. Sure. And again, snow cover, like you said, is an excellent way of insulating and protecting the roots even more. But then they do the same thing again, out of the, cell, out of the cells in between the spaces yeah. between the cells. Okay. And so would you say that if there is death of a plant due to winter, it usually is a result of inadequate snow cover that is freezing the roots off? Most of the time, it's death because on a tree is because the roots have gotten frozen off in the wintertime. Right. And so the various things like the – the they call them the dead cells actually will freeze solid. And ice is warmer than just dry wood. So if the, if the dead cells freeze on the, on the actual trunks of the bark, yeah. then that will actually add any, even more of an insulating factor to the tree itself and wow. protect them over the winter. Wow. It's a real It's a real science, Matt. And I know it's a little bit heavy science, and I maybe I'm boring <laughs> on a, everybody on a, to on death. On a Saturday morning, yeah. On a Saturday morning. But, Matt, it's really interesting in how these trees survive the winter. Well, and, and it's just, for me, with the winter season upcoming, Mom, you'd think that if you're armed with this knowledge, if you know that you've got a subdivision property where you've got a tree that's on the end of your subdivision property – is it best to be piling snow on the root system or in and around the root system of that tree? Hopefully not covered in salt, the snow, but is it best to be piling snow around the root of the tree in order to create this insulating factor for the roots? Yes or no? Well, actually, in our research, it's the leaves. If the leaves from the tree are not diseased with any kind of parasite or insect or fungus or blight... Leave them be. Leave them be. Let them pile up around your tree. They're extra insulation plus the snow on top of them. Leave the leaves. Leave the leaves. It's make, not, a, make like a tree and leave the leaves. Yes. Think of the trees in the forest. Like they, yeah. all the leaves fall we around them. We don't touch them. them in the forest, Matt. And no. they do just fine. I'm going to say something controversial. I think it's our need to control and everything to look pristine that we take all this stuff okay. away that would naturally now insulate. Now hold, hold, your, hold yourself there for a second. You own a large estate property and you have a bed maintenance company coming in or a, a horticultural maintenance company coming in and they come to you and, and they say, we're leaving your leaves on your lawn or in and around your trees this year for this reason. What do you say? Okay. And let's say that you're not armed with the horticultural knowledge. Okay. Th- that you've got. I want my property to look neat and tidy, but I will tell you this, that after reading this, and I, I'm going to change our minds. We, we might change our minds. A I bit. mean, this was taken back, going back to uh, uh, Thomas Osborne Perry, right? Of 81. And he stated this back then, Matthew, that there was a definite um, effect, cause and effect. So if you left the leaves alone around your tree, in the wintertime, they would have a much better chance of surviving and having less issues come next spring. I will tell you the direction that this show has steered me is monumental. I was on a site doing a, just like a site walk for work coming up in the spring. And Lasha, if you're listening, and this is I'm talking about your property. Dad, this is the property that I was telling you where like, like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it was like nighttime. That much shape. This woman's got... Three black walnuts in the backyard, okay, that just shed their full heads off. There's spruce around there. There's all it's a majorly mature backyard in in Oakville. And 
when I'm there on site, I'm walking around, taking notes and measurements and such, and her grounds maintenance crew is on site. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking about what Julia DeMacco said. You get the, like you get the four inch wire mesh, you make a big wire cage and you put the leaves in the wire cage creates leaf mold or compost, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be telling this person, this client to be bringing in compost in the spring because her beds are, they have never been composted and they need it. You can tell that the flowers are just, or the plant material is just sort of, eh. and I'm thinking, you know, she has this area in the backyard. Why not put this wire cage and her grounds crew is there on site then? And they're blowing dad y- tarps of leaves. Tarps. Twenty one problem here, Matthew. What? You're talking bark. I know. Not leaves. I'm just saying that this show has begun to change how I think about things. And I said to this client who has a large estate property, I'm talking like pristine property. I said, you know what? Back there in the corner, you could do this. And she said, listen, next year, we're going to do it. Okay, Matthew, I got a question for you. Interesting. Yeah. That we can address that when we hit the root show. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Matt, let's go to peeling bark trees. Okay. Love it. Okay. So anyways, <laughs> we've been talking about birch a lot. Let's stick yeah. to Betula papyrifera. Don't plant them. No. It, Matt, you know what? It's a hardwood. Okay. But here's a really cool thing. How, why do birches shed in the first place? Is this... It's either oxygen or water. It's actually to save water for one thing. It allows for, say, gas exchange for, which is necessary, again, for photosynthesis. So what you're saying is that birds visit Taco Bell a lot? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Maddie, you know what? Do you know know what, Maddie? It also makes trees grow quicker. That's another thing. So... Wait a minute then. So is there a correlation between the fact that these birch, our audience members, I'm going to use a word here and I'll explain what it is. Uh, the birch, the poplar, aspen, all these things are pioneer trees. Is there a correlation between the fact that they're pioneer trees, they grow super fast and the exfoliating bark? Part of it. Okay. By the way, for our audience, pioneer tree means is it, it's a, generally it's a tree that's, that's a rapid grower. They would be growing first in an unforested area that is allowed to basically revert back to naturalized. And they are also weakly branched and weakly wooded. So they are not necessarily the best trees to have on your property, but they are rapid growers and they tend to be bark peelers. Sure. And another thing that they can do that a lot of the other trees can't. If you ever notice, uh, sometimes you'll see on the bark, you'll see a lot of lichen, like the, the greenish gray yeah. lichen. I'm growing kind of on. liking it, eh? Oh, I like it a lot, right? Yeah. 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 But Matt. So the birches have the ability to discard the pieces of the bark that have lichen on it. And this way it can it can get better light absorption for the photosynthetic bark cells. And now the and the lichen is generally a result of you've got uh not enough air movement, moisture and not enough direct sunlight. You've got it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, Matt. Yeah. But Matt, you know, as you know, uh, birch trees they, they come in basically Everybody will buy the the white varieties, yep, but there but there are the river birch, sure, which are the brownie yellower ones. Yeah, that's a heritage one again, yep. going back. Yep. But man, I I actually like that one better than most. And a lot of people get it; they see the white bark on it, and they like the look of it. In even in the winter time, or when everything is kind of gray, okay. the white bark shows. While we're on the topic of this, again, Saturday morning. I'm sorry, audience. This one is heavy-duty science, and I'm going to post a picture of this. I'm going to use a word that many have not heard of unless you're in horticulture. The word is lenticels, and all this is is if you look at a birch, you'll notice that the birch has these little black horizontal lines. Or brown. Like, or brown. Little check marks. It looks like someone has taken a Sharpie and gone around on the birch and just done these little lines. Dad, what are the lenticels for? What is this? Why? Matthew, they're basically for it's pores, isn't it? Gas exchange. Yeah, okay. Taco Bell from the interior, Bring it. from the interior portion, and the birch uh, the, like their burritos. And a the, lot. yes, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> but it's for the uh, you know the atmosphere outside and the interior, uh, what yeah. the environment is going on the inside, and it's allowing for gas exchange between the two. That's all it is. Matt. And many trees have this. Uh, one that we use a lot for the on the ornamental side of things would be your ivory silk lilac. Very, very pronounced lenticels on these things. So can, can we stick to the peeling ones for one more second and then yeah. we'll move off to – I think Kwanzaa Japanese cherries. We don't use better. it enough. 
No, we, we, you know why we don't use it. It has a lot of uh, issues with bugs and so forth. Canker, forth. all that garbage. Yeah. yeah. But Matt, London Paying Tree, what's Latin for that one again? Mom? I know it. Platinus X Acerfolia. Oh! Give her a cookie. Yes. Now, the London Plain Tree. Now, Acerfolia would mean that this has got maple-ish looking leaves? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But Matt, the problem with this thing is it is a native to North America. And if it, people remember, think of it, it's almost like, a, they consider it almost like a sycamore maple is what they consider it. Uh, which would be Occidentalis and Orientalis, I believe. But anyways, Matt, it's resistant to most diseases except powdery mildew. It gets powdery mildew very bad. But the peeling bark, again, is on the cool side. I consider it to be a bit of a messy tree, Matt, for the most part. But it likes most soil conditions, alkaline, acidity, whatever you want. And it takes either a well-drained clay, sandy soil and the pH, Matt, get this. 3.7 to 6.5. Likes it acidy. But Matt, it likes it wet, full sun. It will take part shade. And Matt, I know in the past, a lot of times farmers and so forth would be using it for hedgerows because it was fast growing because it grows several feet per year. You know, the Danbrooks, they actually have a platinous acerfolia of their own. We put one in there for them. Huh. But Matt, zone 4B and up. So it's, you know, we're 5A, 5B. Yeah, it'll take it. So it'll take it just fine. But Matt, as for the most part, um, I prefer trees that would, okay, you, you were talking the lenticels. Well, what about Kwanzaa Japanese cherry? Are you very familiar no, with you, that one? You actually, you actually already mentioned this. I know that, but what, what can you do to describe it? Uh, okay, so the, the, the Kwanzaa Japanese cherry, this would be a cherry tree, leathery, glossy green leaves. It would get a, a pink, a pinky white flower come spring, like your typical cherry. But that's not Deep really pink purple. Yeah, yeah. that's not really. But the that's big, not what it's known for. No, it's the cinnamon colored bark. Yeah, almost like a coppery look. There's to it. nothing like the color of the bark on this thing. You know what the bark looks like color wise? It looks like the same, similar color wise to a paper bark maple, an Acer gracium. That very, very cinnamony, cinnamony, almost copper colored bark. Now the nice part about the Kwanzaa Japanese cherry is not only is the bark that color, but it's also glossy. Like it's as glossy as the leaves are. It's almost got a, a bit of a sheen like or like a bloom on it. Hey, Dad? Sure. And Matt, some of the problems that it gets is, let um, me think here for a second, they get a sooty mold on it. They get bark. A sooty mold. <laughs> bark bores yeah. and scale insects. And it also, most cherry trees, as you know, produce something called punicin. Do you know what that is? No. I don't know what that is. It sounds like a so Matt, something ba- I have to get a needle for. I don't want to do that. It's basically in the seed itself, in the nut itself on cherry trees. Yeah. But it's not. This one does not actually have a fruit. Yeah. But most people confuse it and say, oh, it's going to have poisons in it which are going to kill my dog. And actually, the, the punis and mat is actually cyanide. So a lot oh, of that's good. Yeah, but mm-hmm. Matt, come on. Almost you think about it. Prunus virginiana. They have the, the seeds inside. Those are cyanide. Yeah. The, the apple seeds are cyanide. So... All in all, Matt, there's, yeah. there's all sorts of things that are actually poisonous, but you don't go around, for the most part, eating the in, interior portion of a cherry. Speaking of poisons, Jody Burke, we did our first our first ever live or the first ever recorded consult at the time. She's she of Bramley. I'm just finishing wrapping up her her landscape plan, and uh, remember at the time we talked about how she had. She had ewes in in the front yard. She had roses in the front yard. She had lily of the valley in the front yard. Well, she got a new walkway put in, concrete, and they ripped everything out. The ewes are out. The lily of the valley's out, and the and the roses are out. Out, out, out. All of it's gone. And again, what does this have to do with bark? Well, the bark would have gone with the stuff that was ripped out. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so Matt, I'm just saying. Yeah. So the Kwanzaa is interesting to the bees. They they think it's great. And this tree was originally in, uh, introduced in 1903. So it's been around for a while. Now, did it come from Japan? Let me think here for a second. Yeah, China, Japan, Korea, that okay. kind of idea. Yep. But Matt, let's move on to, I don't know what our time is like, but about, uh, like, let's say, seven minutes. Okay, so let's get into the dogwoods to start with. Yep, love it. Okay, so by the way, audience, you should be using these, especially the shrub forms. Sure. You should be using these. This, to me, when somebody says, okay, speaking of Jody of Bramley, okay, Red gnome dogwood, brand new variety. Red gnome dogwood gets a orangey red, like a bright orangey red bark on it, and they stay small, Dad. 
like two and a half feet. That's it. Okay. And when someone says four season interest, what you need to be doing is if it's not evergreen, you you should be looking at bark. Especially right? in the wintertime. Especially in the wintertime. So I've got a lot of pines happening. So when I get into the pine stuff, I want to be mixing in red bark, the dogwoods, right? You can also get into the yellow twig dogwood, which is which is also beautiful. So what's so unusual about the yellow twig dogwood? I don't know. This sucker can live 80 years. What? It is one of the longest living dogwoods, even beats Kusa out. And they're small. And they're small. Well, small I mean, enough. Whatever. Five to six. Yeah. Or, yeah. Let me think here for a second. Yeah, even the zone's good, Matt. Three through eight. Well, most dogwoods are pretty darn tough. You know what? I love dog. Silverleaf dogwood is an outstanding choice, with the exception of the fact that it's a pretty aggressive grower, but they'll take any kind of pruning. You can prune that sucker whenever you want. The stinking thing grows back. Take almost any condition. It doesn't necessarily flower all that well. But and what's the, the flower called on a dogwood? A bract. Oh, hey, you see that? Hey! Oh, the boy a cookie too. Yeah. That's it. Actually, I was talking to a client about because we need to do a privacy screen, and I said, "Well, we could use uh, like a kusa dogwood, like a flowering dogwood." And they get bracts, and she goes, "What's that?" I said, "Well, it's like on a on a poinsettia." Okay, Lena, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. What is the Latin for yellow twig dogwood? Yellow twig dogwood. Oh boy, cornus. Cerecia flaviramia. Give her another cookie. It's I, actually it's actually Cerecia. Cerecia. Yes. Close Sorry. enough, Matthew. Yeah. Pretty damn yeah. good. Yeah. But Matt, yeah, everything about Good job, my mother. That's very good. But you know what, Matt, everything on dogwoods about bracts, okay, the yeah. flower. And they actually last sometimes four, six weeks over. ACDC read, uh, there was a song called <laughs> Black and Bracked. <laughs> it was. It was about there. It's it, it about dogwoods. So Matt, it was about it? dogwoods? <laughs> no. <laughs> So, Matt, what about the Cornus albus, Siberica? What do you think of the Siberian dogwood? Yeah, again, beautiful, beautiful red bark. And again, it's it's not going to get – it's going to get in the neighborhood of four to seven feet high, that yeah. kind of idea. Yeah, but again, those things – any of those shrubs, any of the dogwoods, you can you can be really, really, really aggressive when it comes to pruning and they don't care. No. And they you don't know what, care Matt? At all. They also um, – let me think here. So, the, the yellow twigs have kind of a white berry. The uh, Siberian dogwood have a – what are they? Blue or – Almost a blackish colored berry going on, right? Yeah. So, Matt, all in all, dogwoods are fantastic as far as getting winter color. I love it. But if you wanted to get something else that was in the yellow tone in the bark, well, what would you choose? I was going to say, when you said yellow tone, the number one to pair with a dogwood is Japanese carrier. Caria japonica because it's got highlighter green bark. Like I'm talking wickedly highlighter green. And speaking of yellow, they get the cutest little yellow puffballs. They look like little a couple times of the year, actually. A couple right? times of the year, but their predominant flower is early spring. Right in, right in around when the the demon seed from hell, the forsythia, is flowering. The Japanese caria, all refined and pretty, and the bell of the ball, she's flowering as well. But if but you wanted that yellow bark thing going on, what else would you use? Oh, yellow twig dogwood? No, we've already done that. Um, well, Forsythia is kind of If you pick the lower yellow. variety, okay, let's go say taller. You could go with, say, Stephanandra tanakai is one that you could use, okay. which is basically Stephanandra incisa crispa, which is the dwarf Japanese lace plant, right? Yep. So anyways, Matt, the lace plant would be in the neighborhood of, what, 20 to 30 inches high and, they get and width. Beautiful fall color, too. Oh, they have fantastic fall color. Absolutely gorgeous. And if I'm not what mistaken... What about Dutzia? Dutzia doesn't... Dutzia have a yellowy bark? Again, I'm not a big Dutzia fan. I'm more of a brownish bark on Okay. It. But Matt, if you wanted to get something that had a purple bark to it, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a Prunus existina, what would it be? I was going to say Japanese... Or, um, oh... Purpley sanctuary. We just did that. Okay. Yeah. So what, what would you guess? Nine bark. What purple, kind of nine bark? Purple nine bark. Yeah, Diablo. Physocarpus opulifolius Diablo. Yeah. Now, and, and then again, too, if, if you want to get the small variety, you just, you just, you just tack Nana or Nanus on the end of that. Sure. Those, again, 401 plant. If you have not, you know what, if you don't even have thumbs, let alone a green one or a black one, you cannot kill... A nine bark. These things are nuts, with the exception of way too shady and way too much moisture because they get powdery mildew. Other than that, these things just grow and flower and grow and flower. I got a question for you, Matthew. Yes, sir. What family 
does a Stephanandra belong to? Rosacy? Oh, that's really good. <laughs> I was thinking Asteraceae, no way. No. That was a really good guess, Matt. Yeah. I have a question for you, Lenny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What kind of um, rooting does a Stephanandra incisicrispa dwarf Japanese lace plant do? What can it do besides normal growth underneath the ground? Rhizomes. Okay, which is called? Underground stems. Um, Advantageous. Advantageous rooting. Yeah, so anything that doesn't grow from a root. So if it grows, the stem can come down, touch the ground, yeah. then makes a new root and move on. Move Strawberries. On, move on. Strawberries, all sorts of poles, all grapes. Yeah, not grapes, sorry. All sorts of rice, uh, corn. What else, Lynn? Um, grasses. All grasses. Yeah. So, yeah, like uh, the Fragurias, the spider plant. Uh, spider plant will do that too, right? I don't know. Because yeah. they have the little things that, that come out. They have baby spiders. Right, yeah. right, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So, right. so yeah. anything that grows from uh, other than the root itself is yeah. called, called adventitious root system. Well, that, by the way, we've been doing root uh, study, Matt, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> and that's a great place to press pause. And for those with hemorrhoids, Wait, what? what? <laughs> yeah, you can use alder bark. Alder bark has the same medicinal properties as willow bark. So, are you suggesting that someone just rips some bark off the alder and just wipes? Their I think with they it? have to take the elder bark on off, and that's it's the, the interior. It's the portion. interior bark, the what white is, part, and it can be made into a tea, and it's good for hemorrhoids. What is it, salicin? That Lynn? Yeah, salicin. Yeah. So, if you're out in the forest and you're really sore, grab an alder. Okay. <laughs> if you put a man on that, it would be an alder man. <laughs> This is growingseasoncanada.com. <laughs> Click on show vids is the visual accompaniment to the show. I'm not going to show exactly what a hemorrhoid is. You can investigate that for yourself. Landscape design season, winter landscape design season is in full swing. I have between seven and ten that I am currently that are currently in the queue. Growingseasoncanada.com. Click on TGS Tiny Gardens. That is our modus operandi. That is our thought process for undertaking and designing and implementing a subdivision-sized landscape. Even if you have a very little property, you can do a ton with it. Also, you can just click on contact. Email comes directly into me. Mom and Dad, thank you so much for joining us. For those listening for the first time, if you haven't checked out the landline Wednesday nights across Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter via Periscope, all of it is uh, replayed on our website, growingseasoncanada.com. Click on TGS Live. We always end this with a joke. And this week's offering is super topical. Check this out, ladies and gentlemen. What is a tree's favorite soft drink? I no idea, know. Matt. Barks root beer. It's oh. <laughs> 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 ridiculous. Mom? Till next time, have a good one and please be safe. Jack out. If you miss any part of our show today or any of our earlier broadcasts, don't panic. Just log on to our website at www.saga960am.ca backslash podcasts and look for and stream our podcasts of this show and any of our other great programs. Oh.